So hello and welcome to the latest employment law podcast from Stevenson Harwood's employment team. You can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. My name is Parv Uskani and I'm an employment partner here at Stevenson Harwood's employment team. Uh, with me today, I have uh, Katie Carr, who's a senior associate in our team. And in this month's podcast, uh, Katie and I are going to discuss reforms to the existing IR35 regime and the introduction of the new off-payroll working rules to the private sector, which take come into force uh, from April 2020. This has caused some controversy due to significant impact this is likely to have on the use of contractors and consultants in the private sector. Now, these rules already apply in a similar format to public sector bodies who engage contractors. So in this podcast, what we're going to run through are the following. So we're going to talk a bit about the background to the new rules. We're going to explain how the new rules work and who it applies to, the potential impact of these rules on the private sector, And finally, uh, as a company and end user that falls within the scope of these rules, what can you do to prepare for the rollout on 6th of April 2020? Katie, do you want to start off by running through the background uh, to these reforms? Thank you, Parvis. So let's start with the existing IR35 regime. The IR35 regime was introduced in April 2000. It's basically a disguised employment regime which was introduced to deal with a perceived form of tax avoidance where an individual provides their services through an intermediary, usually a personal services company, in order to avoid paying income tax and national insurance contributions. For IR35 to apply, the individual who provides the services to an end user or client would need to be operating like an employee or a worker of the end user or client. So, where the IR35 regime applies, any fees paid to the personal services company would then be treated as employment income of the individual who provides the services and would therefore be subject to tax and national insurance contributions. So the regime is intended to ensure that individuals who work like employees or workers for an end user or a client pay the same employment taxes as employees, regardless of the structure that they work through. If the person is a genuine independent contractor and does not fall within the IR35 regime, then they won't need to apply PAYE to fees that are received by a personal services company. Over the years, HMRC and the government believe that many individuals who have their own personal service companies and who contract with client organisations and provide their services in the same manner as employees or workers haven't been accounting for PAYE. This has resulted in lost tax revenues. Hence, in April 2017, the government started off by introducing new off-payroll working rules in the public sector. Under these rules, instead of the personal services company accounting for PAYE for the individual who provides services to the public authority end-user or client, it is the public authority client who is responsible for deciding whether the contractor would have been an employee if they were engaged directly. If so, then they have to deduct income tax and national insurance contributions through PAYE before the fees are paid to the personal services company. In March this year, a consultation was issued on introducing off-payroll working rules to the private sector. The government published its response to the consultation earlier this month, and provisions have now been introduced in the draft finance bill, so that from April 2020, these changes will be rolled out to the private sector. Under the rules, medium and large organisations in the private sector will need to decide whether IR35 applies to engagements with individuals who work through their own companies. Where the rules do apply, the end-user company, or in some case an agency or other third party that pays the individual's personal services company, which is known as a fee payer, will need to deduct income tax and employee national insurance contributions and also pay employer national insurance contributions. 
The proposed regime is largely modelled on the public sector of payroll working rules, though there are some important changes in the new regime, which will also be applied in the public sector going forwards. So thanks, Katie. As with the public sector, the main IR35 tax liability will lie with the entity which pays the contractor's personal services company, but is the end-user company organisation who is obliged to assess whether the contractor is inside or outside IR35, and where relevant, pass that assessment on to its supplier. So the headline points under the new rules are as follows. Number one, it only applies to companies which are not small as defined by the Companies Act uh, 2006. Number two, it is the end-user client who applies PAYE on any fees that it pays, whether directly or indirectly, to the personal services company. Number three, when assessing IR35 status or employment status, the end-user client must complete an employment status determination statement. Number four, they must pass that statement onto the supplier they have a contract with and also the worker. Number five, any other intermediaries in the supply chain will be obliged to pass that to status determination statement down the contractual chain until it finally ends up with the personal service company. And in addition, the end user client will also need to pass that statement directly to the individual worker. Number six, a new client-led status disagreement process should be introduced. So now let's look at these points, uh, some of these points in a bit more detail. Now, Katie, do you want to start by explaining the small companies uh, exemption? Yes. So if a client is small, individual contractors will still determine their own IR35 status and the existing IR35 regime will continue to apply to them. The Companies Act definition of small companies will be used, meaning that the end user will be small if it meets two of the following criteria. First, a turnover of not more than £10.2 million. Second, a balance sheet total of not more than £5.1 million. And third, that it has not more than 50 employees. For unincorporated entities, only the turnover test will apply, so that those, only those with the turnover exceeding £10.2 million will be within the scope of the reforms. There's no requirement for the end user to advise the individual contractor as to whether they're a small company, apparently because the government doesn't want to cause an additional burden for small businesses. So the individual will only know the client is not exempt when they receive an employment status determination. If they don't receive one, they can assume the end user client is a small company and within the exemption. Parvis, do you want to talk through the status determination obligation that medium and large companies will have to follow? Yes, thanks Katie. So medium and large companies will have to make an employment status determination statement uh, and give that to contractors that they engage with. The end user client will need to look at the actual contractual relationship between the end user and the personal service company, but also at the reality of the relationship to assess employment status for tax purposes. The factors they will need to take into account include, number one, whether there's a mutuality of obligation. So that means an obligation on the part of the worker to provide his or her work or skill and an obligation on the part of the engager to pay the worker for that service. Number two, you look at the degree of control that the end user has and of the way in which a worker performs their services, what tasks they have to be performed and when and where they must be performed. Number three, the economic reality surrounding the relationship. So, for example, you look at who provides the equipment, who takes the financial risk, the extent to which a worker is reliant on that particular end user, and the manner and timing of payment, and the duration of engagement, and the integration into the business. Those are just some of the factors. So, the new off-payroll working rules are a mechanism for collecting tax and do not in themselves cause contractors to become employees or workers under employment law. 
There is currently no link between tax and employment rights, although this has been proposed under the government's good work plan that was published in December 2018. Yes, and as you mentioned earlier, it's important to note that where the legislation applies, the end user must provide both the party they're engaging with and the individual worker the status determination statement. If there's a labour supply chain involved, the determination must be passed down each stage of the chain. The contractor will have a right to challenge the determination and require an explanation or new determination from the end user. This is not the case currently with the public sector regime. The client will then have 45 days to review the decision and either change it or provide the contractor with confirmation of their original decision and the client's reasons for deciding that the conclusion is correct. If there's a supply chain involved, then the ultimate liability for tax and national insurance will fall on the end user if any party in that chain fails to pass on the status determination statement. However, there's no independent appeals process if the status disagreement process doesn't resolve matters. The government says this is because an HMRC-led status disagreement process would not be able to provide decisions in real time, with a consequent impact on flexibility of the workforce. The key point to note in this dispute process is if the end-user client makes a determination which the contractor disagrees with, there's no real comeback for them. They either accept it or cease engaging with that end-user client. Thanks, Katie. A quick point on guidance on determining employment status for the purpose of producing the statement. HMRC introduced its Check Employment Status for Tax tool, uh, so it's known as the CEST tool, in 2017 to assist status determination, and it hasn't been popular. There are concerns from experience with the public sector that the tool is not fit for purpose, in particular that it's too simplistic and does not cater for the sheer diversity of contractor roles, and that there is an over-reliance on the right of substitution. So HMRC say that it is working with stakeholders to enhance the CES tool and develop guidance before the reforms come into play. However, I think it remains questionable whether a one-size-fits-all online tool would really give a conclusive answer for what may be specialist technical roles in the private sector. Also, one thing to bear in mind is that the outcome of the CES tool, the answer that you get, is not actually binding on HMRC. So Katie, why don't you just run through the impact of the new reforms that will have on the private sector? So firstly, it's important to note that HMRC has confirmed the reform is not retrospective. So as was the case in the public sector, HMRC will focus on ensuring that businesses comply with the reform for new engagements rather than focusing on historic cases. Organisations' decisions about whether contractors are within the rules will not automatically trigger an inquiry into earlier years. That aside, I think it's fair to say that end-user clients are likely to be cautious in their approach. Whilst wanting to retain the flexible workforce they're not going to want to risk the potential tax bills, penalties and legal costs of HMRC later challenging the IR35 assessment. Only the most clear-cut engagements will be judged as operating outside IR35. End-users will also be more interested in the compliance of their supply chain, given the risk that liability could end up with them in the event of failings in that supply chain. Unfortunately, contractors are likely to seek higher daily rates to compensate for the increased tax burden that they're going to face. That's likely to increase the wage bill considerably but the risk of not doing so is loss of the best talent. Some end-users may stop hiring contractors and instead engage everybody directly as employees and only operate POYE. This, however, removes the flexibility that contractors offer. The need for that flexibility may become all the more important depending on the impact of Brexit, when employers may need to cut their workforces and wish to avoid the process and costs of implementing redundancies. Thanks, Katie. So businesses, they need to act sooner rather than later. And so let's take a look at some of the steps that end users can take now to prepare for the new regime. So I'm just going to run through 
some useful tips. So I think the first one is to carry out an audit on the contractor population within the business uh, and identify which might be in place at April 2020. The second point is determine how they will assess the employment status of each off-payroll worker or contractor to ensure that they have a clear and consistent methodology. Now, the best strategy here is to do this on a case-by-case basis. I don't think there's an easy answer to this, I'm afraid. Uh, And the explanatory notes and other comments from HMRC state that end users will have an obligation to take reasonable care when making assessments. So if you make a blanket determination that every contractor is outside of the new regime, then actually this could be subject to challenge by HMRC. Uh, The third point is carry out employment status determinations on the contractors identified. Number four, ensure there is a clear communication plan in place. Number five, review internal systems such as payroll software, booking systems, process maps, HR and onboarding policies to see if any changes are needed. Uh, Number six, You'd need to amend all existing contracts with your contractors and ensure that all new contractors are drafted to anticipate the new rules. Now, contracts may need to be changed to take into account of the new rules. For example, uh, they will need to contain power to deduct income tax and uh, national insurance contributions and have in place appropriate indemnities. Number seven, end users may need to renegotiate the rates paid to those off-payroll workers or contractors that they want to retain to compensate them for the less favourable tax treatment of their fees under IR35. Number eight, where businesses use supply chains, end users will need to ensure that suppliers are reputable and compliant. So they may also wish to renegotiate commercial terms of supplies. So for example, the use of indemnities or withholding parts of payments due pending demonstration of compliance. And finally, end users will also need a plan for dealing with appeals against status determination assessments. So end users might wish also to consider alternative engagement models. So I don't think we should rule that out. So for example, uh, engaging contractors as employees or workers or engaging contractors through umbrella companies or ensuring contractors do not come within the IR35 rules by changing the way they work. So for example, they provide a right for substitution and allow that in practice allow them to set their own hours and place of work and structure contracts by reference to a project or piece of work rather than duration. So I think that's probably a roundup and sums it really for the new off-payroll working rules. Thanks, Katie, for joining us and thank you all for listening. Just a reminder that you can listen to all of our podcasts and subscribe to the entire series on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting the Stevens and Harwood website. Thank you. (music) 